Hello and welcome to Transmissions from Tatooine episode 43, the show that covers all the Star Wars films, TV shows, books, comics and more, in no apparent order. I'm your host Ollie, unfortunately Jayant can't be with us tonight, and today I'm going to be celebrating the 44th anniversary of Star Wars by talking about some of the most important people and getting the film made. This is Transmissions from Tatooine, coming to your data pairs from, well, not Tatooine actually, uh. So, yeah, as I said at the top, unfortunately Jan can't be with us tonight, so you're stuck with me. <laughs> um, and today I'm going to be talking about some of the most important people in getting this original Star Wars film made, originally just Star Wars and later called A New Hope. Um, and yeah, without further ado, uh, I'm gonna get into it. Um, I've got my list here, uh, so I'm gonna go from 10 to 1 like we usually do with these sorts of lists and yeah, just talk about what the different people did and why they're important and getting the film made. And so number 10 on my list is Alan Ladd Jr. And he was uh, one of the executives of Fox and he was pretty much the only person at Fox who believed in George Lucas and believed in Star Wars um, and uh, kind of put, he was pretty much the one who funded the whole project and uh, got the film made really without without him Lucas would have had no money and Star Wars just would never have gotten made so he was a very important figure in providing the money uh, for Star Wars yeah and so that's my number 10 at number 9 I have John Mollo and he was the costume designer for excuse me, episode four, and he created some of the most iconic costumes that, in the films. So although uh, Ralph McQuarrie designed Darth Vader's uh, costume, he was the person who brought that suit into reality and created like the iconic helmet um, and... Uh, he designed stormtroopers. He designed hundreds and hundreds of costumes and created kind of that really iconic, instantly Star Wars look. Um, yeah. And then at number eight on my list, I have Colin Cantwell. And he was a model maker who created uh, loads of the original designs for the ships in Star Wars. So George Lucas kind of had these vague ideas in his head of what he thought different things, different ships should look like. And so he had kind of the idea of the X-Wing, which had sort of the X-Foils and stuff. But it was Colin Cantwell who sort of created those designs and made them actually look like spaceships and not something a little kid had drawn. Um, and yeah, he created things like the Y-Wing, the X-Wing, the TIE Fighter, 
the original Star Destroyer, the Death Star, which was actually originally kind of a chromed sort of mirrored reflective surface. And then they had to change that later because although it's cool to have like a chrome reflective surface, uh, it obviously you then get the reflection of the camera um, on the chrome surface. So it kind of instantly ruins the illusion um, of the was created by the uh, amazing effects or, you know, amazing at the time. And they still hold up reasonably well today. I was watching A New Hope um, a couple of weeks ago now. Um, And yeah, it's kind of surprising how good a lot of them look. The only thing that really looks bad to me is um, the blaster shots and everything else looks pretty decent. Like, obviously, you can tell that it's not real, but um, considering that it was made 44 years ago, very impressive stuff. And talking about those effects leads quite nicely into my, what are we on now, number seven, and that is John Dykstra. And he was the head of the original um, ILM in Van Nuys. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, I think I am. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, um, and he was the person who created the Dykes Reflex, which was basically the first motion control camera ever invented. Um, and without him, the special effects of Star Wars would never have been what they what they were. Um, and yeah, he was uh, very important in getting the film and the film's effects to look as good as they did. Unfortunately, um, him and George Lucas uh, had a bit of a disagreement because he. Um, was a little bit slow in uh, doing everything and uh, Star Wars was very, very pressured for time uh, towards the end of the production. Uh, And so unfortunately he uh, didn't go back to make any of the sequels, but without him, the original Star Wars would never have been what it was in terms of the groundbreaking effects so uh, regardless of his disagreement with Lucas he still was a very important figure in making Star Wars and then at number six on this list we have Marsha Lucas who was um, George Lucas's wife but she was also um, one of the three well it was technically four editors there were three editors because um The original editor was uh, John Jimson. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Again, I'm not sure on a lot of these pronunciations because I read them in, like, books and stuff. Um, So I hope I'm pronouncing them right. Apologies if I am getting them wrong. Uh, Leave a comment that I don't know how to read telling me. Um, But, uh, yeah, so... He was the British editor and George Lucas wasn't very happy with the way he was cutting it. 
So unfortunately, he got fired. Um, and then they went back when they went back to the USA. He got uh, Richard Chu, um, Paul Hirsch, and Marsha Lucas to do the editing. And Marsha Lucas was the person responsible for doing the Death Star battle at the end of the film, among other sequences. But uh, she created that like super exciting end battle sequence that's just still today an amazing piece of editing and uh yeah that was uh, very important to the film if that final battle hadn't worked then the film wouldn't have worked um and i think she said that herself to george lucas at one point she said i believe uh if the audience doesn't cheer when Han Solo and the Millennium Falcon come back to save Luke, then the film doesn't work. I think it was something along those lines. I'm not 100% sure. In uh, I read that in uh, a book, George Lucas's biography. I think it was George Lucas, A Life, I think is what it's called. Um, but yeah, and then... For number five, I'm kind of cheating because I have two people instead of one person, but they work together and they are John Barry and Roger Christian and they were responsible for the sets of Star Wars and the uh, Roger Christian did props and design, John Barry built the sets um, and then Roger Christian did like set dressing uh, and yeah, they were incredibly important uh, for getting the film made and looking as good as it did on just this tiny budget. I think uh, I was listening to an interview with Roger Christian the other day and he said that his entire set dressing budget was $200,000 to do the entire film, which is just tiny considering all the sorts of crazy things that he created um he created the lightsaber r2d2 the c3po costume uh he dressed all the sets um he, he created blue milk <laughs> um and yeah he was very important in doing that and then john barry he created he, he like designed and built all the sets so he built um, the Death Star and created sort of these amazing sets that could be sort of moved around to make like, I think it, I think it was three corridors. I'm not 100% sure on that. I think it was three corridors or somewhere along that that could then have like walls and panels rearranged. So it looked like there were way more corridors that were all slightly different that they were running along and sort of created, um, yeah, he he created, uh, like, I think one of my favourite sets he did was um, that, like, meeting room where you have all the Imperials and uh, you've got sort of that big round table um, and kind of sort of just creating that clear imperial aesthetic that's sort of very clean and smooth and uh kind of hard edges and 
that sort of thing and then the rebellion which is sort of more I guess yeah I guess rough and ragtag and they have sort of more natural stuff that's like roots and roots and plants and vines creeping along the rebel base and that sort of thing he he created all that taking inspiration from Ralph McQuarrie's um concept paintings and we'll get to that later but he was he and Roger Christen were really the people who brought that into reality um and created sort of this amazing look and design of Star Wars and then in the number four spot I have John Williams and he was uh the uh, music composer who created all the iconic music for episodes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. He didn't do Rogue One and Solo, um, but he uh, created like loads and loads of iconic music. He created. The Star Wars main theme. He wrote uh, Darth Vader's Imperial March. He uh, did Blockade Runner. He did just so so many of the kind of instantly Star Wars themes he created that um, kind of I guess they tie the film together really nicely and sort of ground it in. And George Lucas came up with the idea that he wanted to have sort of this traditional orchestral score. Um, in uh, sorry, I got tongue tied there. He came up with the idea that he wanted to have kind of this very grounded orchestral orchestral score um, to sort of ground the film and give it a sort of nobility um, and. Yeah, I don't don't know how to explain it better than that. He he created the music that really sort of ties the film together and uh, makes <laughs> makes it sort of grounded and tells you the emotions of the characters and it's just an amazing score, really. Um, and then in number in the number three spot, I have Ralph McQuarrie who was a concept artist and he painted uh, these concept paintings for George Lucas. He was one of the original hires on Star Wars and he is pretty much the person who created sort of the look and style of um, Star Wars and we talked about before you've got John Barry and Roger Christian on sets and props and then you've got John Muller on the costumes and they brought it into reality and made it real but Ralph McQuarrie is the person who came up with those ideas for what it should look like and what it would look like in the ideal world with unlimited money um, and uh, so he did I think one of my favorite paintings he did is that one where you've got kind of the original Vader with sort of that more I don't really know how to explain it. It's sort of a Vader helmet that looks sort of more, almost bird-like, I guess, like the breathing 
that sort of comes out and curves into sort of like almost a beak, not quite. And then he's got, it, it's kind of very, very creepy, sort of like a skeleton and a bird, but also clearly Vader's helmet. And he created sort of, he created that. Uh, he created the sort of original version of R2, D2 and C3PO. Um, in this great painting where they're uh, walking across the Tatooine desert and they've got this sort of big jagged rock cliff thing in the background. Um, I can't describe it really much better than that. Um, and yeah, he did loads and loads of amazing paintings and sort of created the design aesthetic for Star Wars. And then in the number two spot, I have Ben Burt, who was the sound designer for um, the, uh, the film. And he, he created, I think the sounds of Star Wars are really what, I guess, give it credibility and make you think, yeah, I guess maybe that could be real. And he sort of did that by uh, going and getting all these sort of real sounds rather than creating them in like a synthesizer or I guess he couldn't have used a computer to create them back then but like he got real sounds so all the spaceships were like old World War Two aeroplanes and stuff. Chewbacca was a combination of I think a bear and a walrus or a seal maybe. It was definitely a bear and a seal or a, yeah, I'm not sure if it was a seal or a walrus. Um, it was one of those two that he got at the zoo and they were kind of the main two creatures that made up Chewbacca's kind of growls. Um, he created Darth Vader's breathing. He created R2-D2's voice, uh, which had just never been done before. The idea that there was this, robot who was like a super important character in the film and spoke a language that nobody understood and he somehow manages to create so like you you instantly know what r2d2 is feeling and thinking just from sort of the tone and the sound of his voice even though you know none of us speak droid <laughs> and yeah he he basically gave the film and all these amazing, crazy worlds and creatures and uh, battle stations uh, to the sense that, yeah, they could, they might actually, they could be real. Um, sort of, yeah, I give it credibility is the best way I can put it. Um, yeah, and then in the number one spot is... Um, of course, George Lucas, who had the original idea for a Flash Gordon sci-fi thing um, and created this uh, amazing, you know, amazing franchise that 44 years later we're still talking about and there are still loads and loads of... Um, I, like you don't feel like 
they're running out of stories. There are still loads more stories that can be told in this sort of amazing universe that he created. And the original idea all came out of Lucas's brain. He wrote the original treatment, The Star Wars, um, and he directed this film on a tiny budget. It was originally meant to be $3 million, and then I think it eventually came at $11 million was the budget. Um, I think it was around $11 million. Uh, yeah, again, not 100% sure on that, but like this tiny budget, and he had just sort of this amazing vision that he stuck to, um, and it was really hard for him to make the film. Like, after he did this, he, at the time, he said he never wanted to direct again, and it, w it wasn't till The Phantom Menace, which came out in 1999, so, like, 22 years later that he directed another film. And, uh, yeah, like, without him, there would be no Star Wars. Um, he was just the most important person in making the film. And, uh, yeah. So that is my list of the most important people in the making of Star Wars. Uh, I would... Uh, be I would love for you guys to put in a comment telling me what you think, whether you agree, whether you have some different people you think, because obviously there were thousands of people who were important to making Star Wars the amazing thing that it is today, um, like Dennis Murin, Phil Tippett, um, Matthew Wood, although he came later on, Lorn Peterson, uh, Ken Ralston, Gary Kurtz, the, the list just goes on and on of important people, but uh, that, that was probably the bit that I found most difficult in doing this episode, to be honest, was trying to narrow it down to just 10 people, although admittedly I did cheat and put 11 in the end, but uh, yeah, that that is my list. Um, I would love to hear what you guys think by leaving a comment, even though I've no idea how to read it. But uh, in the event that we do somehow figure it out, I would love to hear your guys' opinion. And yeah, thank you for listening to today's episode. Please be sure to follow and subscribe and leave a comment. Um, and I hope you'll leave us a rating or review and please consider five stars and yeah, I have spoken.